Hello and welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from OnShot.net. Episode 36. Replace Boards of Management. Hello and welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education uh, from OnShaw.net. This is Simon Lewis with you for another episode. Um, It is at this time of the recording, um, that time of the year, or I should rather more accurately, that time of every four years when every school in the country it gets a new board of management. Uh, For those of you outside of Ireland, um, every four years on December the 1st, uh, so in this case in 2019, um, so the next time they'll change is 2023 and so on, uh, there are new boards of management. And every four years um, there are new rules to um, for boards to be established and basically we um, end up with more or less the same structure with slight tweaks to the rules. Uh, for those of you who don't know and for those of you who are unfamiliar with primary schools, um, you might be surprised at what a board of management really is um, because I guess how I would explain it best is you might be surprised to know that the Department of Education isn't actually responsible for what happens in any of the schools that are run in this country. The Department of Education, let me repeat, is not responsible for the education that happens in any of their schools. Um, And that is where our episode is today, because you might even be further surprised to learn that patron bodies also have no responsibility either for what happens in schools. They can uh, dissolve a board of management that uh, that is their only remit, but this rarely, rarely ever happens unless there is a massive crisis. But basically, in in a nutshell, every single primary school in the country is its own private entity and all the responsibility lies with these eight individuals called the Board of Management. You might um, think that this might only be the case in big schools, uh, but even the most small schools in Ireland have to have eight board members and the very smallest four, or uh, uh, from what I can gather. This might mean that in the most extreme cases that there are some schools where there's actually a larger number of people on their board of management than there are pupils in the school. However, that is not the strangest thing. The boards of management are made up completely of volunteers. Nobody gets paid to be on a board of management and yet they have absolute legal responsibility for everything that goes on in the school. And should anything go wrong in the school, even if it has nothing whatsoever to do with them, they are entirely responsible. And this week, that's what we'll be discussing. Are boards of management fit for purpose? Are they the, are they better than the alternative? What are the alternatives? And are the alternatives the better option than actually a messy current situation. So that's what I'll be exploring this week if I were the Minister for Education. And I'll be arguing that if I were the Minister for Education, I would consider replacing boards of management. So there is a a bit of a longer introduction than usual when it comes to my podcasts, uh, just to give a bit of a context of boards of management. As I said, for those of you who aren't familiar uh, with the Irish context, um, boards of management are um, set up um, 
by um, a setup uh, basically to run and manage schools uh, completely voluntarily and the eight there are eight people on a board of management that I uh, that's what I mentioned in our introduction there and I'll just let you know who those eight people are just for those of you who aren't familiar with boards of management and um, basically they are um, the principal so basically the principal is one member of the board of management so they have a dual role um, because they are an employee of the board of management, but they are also an employer in some ways as well. So um, they're an, uh, so the board of management to hire are in charge of this principal, but the principal is also in charge is 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 actually an employer as well. So it's a very it's a strange dual role, which in some ways kind of works but doesn't really work. Um, it only works I suppose when things are working. Anyway, there's the principal, and there's another teacher. Now I deliberately say teacher rather than staff member. The boards of management, despite a lot of pressure uh, from external agencies, particularly Educate Together, uh, just to, to name one, the it, it cannot be anyone but a teacher. It can't be an SNA, it can't be a caretaker, it can't be a secretary. It has to be a teacher. It's a teacher representative. Um, so therefore, only teachers can be on boards of management, which I would suggest at this day, day and age is controversial. Uh, there are two parents, um, and I'll talk about that in a second. There's two community representatives, and then there are two people that act on behalf of the patron and are uh, basically, um, I suppose, employed is the wrong word, uh, designated, uh, maybe the right word, uh, on beha- uh, by the patron to uphold the ethos. Now, I'll just uh, discuss a little bit of how they're elected, just so you know. Um, a principal basically... Um, it isn't elected they are just part of a board of management it's part of your role and most principals take on the secretary role of a board of management as well because all correspondence comes through them the teacher representative is generally uh, voted in by the teachers in the school and so that so people uh, get nominate themselves or get nominated and uh, then there is an election if there's more than one person who puts themselves up for the role Um, in terms of parents um, there is an election as well uh, parents put themselves forward there must be a mother and there must be a father um, who are on the board of management uh, so to have a male representative and a female representative uh, there is a joke out there that there is generally the election takes place uh, is for the for the female representative uh, because there's uh, and none for the male representative because generally there's fewer males that go for the position I don't know how true that is in some schools certainly in my case it's not always the case um, and uh, we have had an occasion uh, where there was no election for a female representative and there was an election for a male representative but that aside there is an election and that is voted on by the parent body um, in, in one of two different ways uh, e- e- both of which are pretty much the same so there's no point in going into them uh, there's also two community representatives um, as I said and they are elected by this, uh, by the board of management themselves they're generally external people who are um, not associated directly with the school uh, they may be politicians they may be accountants they may be people who would be useful to the board management um, and who might give themselves up voluntarily. And then uh, there's two people who act on behalf of the patron. That's the patron representatives. In a Catholic school or in a Church of Ireland school, that's usually the spiritual leader of the community. So that's the priest or the rector. Uh, sometimes it's the rabbi in the Jewish school, I'd imagine. I don't actually know if that's the case. And I'm sure it's the imam in the two Muslim schools. Again, I'm not sure about that. Um, and not necessarily. Uh, it doesn't always have to be the spiritual leader. Uh, a lot of priests have stepped away away from um, chairing boards of management but in more cases than not it's usually a priest 
um, and then a second person who generally the church or the um, or the patron body will nominate and usually it's uh, someone um, upstanding within the community who will make sure the ethos is going ahead that um, I guess uh, for religious schools ensures that the school maintains its religious ethos um, given that there is a lot of temptation of schools uh, to ignore some of the uh, dogma of uh, their particular uh, church group. So um, so that needs to be kept uh, lid on by, I presume, uh, the patron body. But similarly for multi-dominational or equality-based schools, they also need people there who will ensure that our ethos, uh, as I'm saying, our, because I'm in Educate Together, um, for example, that, uh, that uh, ethos is upheld. So we're not doing things like introducing uniforms or... Um, teaching religious uh, religion as truth uh, for example so i mean that's just how these people are elected how they get on the board um and of those eight people there are three main roles a chairperson which is usually one of the patron nominees a secretary which is usually the principal and a treasurer who's usually the person who can't say no um or just someone who uh, yeah it's it's the position that's hardest to fill to be honest with you if you uh, can find one you're very very lucky and the reason that you're very lucky uh, we'll get into uh, in, a, in a few minutes. Just to get a little bit more background, boards meet roughly five to six times a year and meetings generally surround, uh, are generally surround the principal giving a lot of information about what's happening in the school um, and uh, the board listening to that. I mean, and just so you know what that is, um, what that looks like when a when a principal is giving a report there's there's usually a, an agenda for for the meeting and people discuss various things but generally the the main part of a meeting is a principal's report and generally and with a, a, what that looks like because lots of people might not know what actually happens at the board meeting and really i mean they are confidential so i'm obviously not going to be able to tell what happens in my board of management meetings but generally the same things kind of happen uh, when a principal gives a report and I'll just go through some of the things that a principal will give uh, during the report or they should be giving during the report they need to tell the board of management how many pupils are in the school which is um which might seem unusual uh, but generally you know particularly in urban areas where there's a lot of movement and um, the number of children on roll can change from month to month and from board meeting to board meeting and sometimes there's a lar- uh, sometimes there might be a reason for a large dip sometimes there might be a large rise and it's good for a board of management to know how many children are in the school despite that they'd usually give an, a, an attendance record of how many um, children uh, what percentage of children are attending so luckily usually um, in most schools outside of the dash kind of thing you'd be looking at about 95 percent attendance as, a, as, a, as an average figure in, in ireland uh, so there would be an explanation of why that might not be and so on and so forth and who might be responsible for doing that and um, recently there's been lots and lots of responsibility added to um, boards of management, uh, including mo- most recently and, uh, and and probably most importantly, but um, kind of tick the boxy a, a little bit about child protection. There's a full report that a principal has to read out at every board meeting, word for word, and it's to do with the number of cases that are reported to Tusla um, for child protection. Um, and it's there, there's this four categories they have to state the number of reports made to Tusla since the last board of meeting in relation to an allegation of abuse against this member of school personnel usually well, hopefully usually that's zero uh, they have to state the number of cases since the last board meeting where the designated liaison person sought advice from Tusla in relation to an allegation of abuse against a member of school personnel and the matter was not reported by the DLP to Tusla again I would hope that would always be zero 
Then they have to state the number of cases since the last board meeting where an allegation of abuse has been made against a member of school personnel and the DLP has not sought advice from Tusla in relation and the matter has not been reported to Tusla. Again, that should be zero. Um, and then uh, finally, they have to state the number of cases since the last board meeting where an allegation of abuse has been made against a member of school personnel and the DLP did not report the matter to Tusla in circumstances where Tusla has advised that they should be reported. Again, that should be zero. Um, and basically, where there is no such cases at all in A, B, C, D or D, they have to state this fact. You have to do that in every board meeting. It now, I don't know how uh, how other sc- how schools do that. Um, I presume it's a, it takes a long time. Sure, I'm sure you've switched off already um, w- with that. Um, they also have to talk about how many referrals were sent to Tusla re child protection since the last board meeting, and they also have to talk about any referrals they didn't make um, in terms of uh, child protection issues uh, and the reasons why. And then the case has to be brought redacted to the board of management. So these kind of things are very important. They're and time consuming. These are things that might have taken a little less time before the new rules came in um, there are um, any reports from ongoing cases are uh, told obviously without telling uh, the boards the names of people um, and um, all of that uh, and basically there needs to be uh, an assurance of any updates on child protection the safeguard statement risk assessment registrar uh, anything to do with bullying and so on uh, when it comes to bullying you have to report how many uh, cases have been reported and what stage they're at um, they would also talk about staffing, um, so any new appointments, any new any people going on maternity leave, anyone on anyone applying for um, career breaks, uh, job shares, any new appointments, all that kind of stuff. So that's uh, that's important. There, they would talk about. Uh, the principal report on anything to do with SSE, my my favourite thing of all, uh, the most pointless thing we've been asked to do uh, in the last decade, uh, bar Druid. Um, but basically, um, that we have to um, report what our progress on SSE is. And the, I have, I, I don't know about other schools, but I don't know how interested anybody is in those. Um, then we have to talk about special educational needs. So any applications for assistive technology, any exemptions from Irish since the last meeting, we have to report on those. Anything else uh, important in relation to special education needs? I, I don't know how interesting any of this is to you uh, if you're not on a board of management, but I'm just telling you what principals have to report to boards of management in the reports. We have to talk about uh, extracurricular activities and explain what they are where they happen um, or any updates on those um, we have to talk about parental involvement so talking about what the parents association have been up to uh, and also parents outside of the parents association what they've been doing in the school we've talked about um, where it's applicable anything to do with school buildings uh, any works any minor works any um, major works any summer works all that kind of stuff or anything revolving the building uh, there also has to be a health and safety uh, report so that includes lots and lots of different things whether that's health and safety around the building any reports to the school any fire drills that may have taken place or should have taken place and then anything to do with staff uh, being referred on to medmark and what what the idea uh, what the outcomes of those are I'm sorry to keep going, uh, but uh, they also have to report on any policies that need to be looked at or um, and that needs to be reported to the Board of Management. Also, any curriculum areas that need to be ratified by the Board of Management um, on that and on that. And finally, um, they also have to talk about the Croke Park Agreement hours and how they have been uh, utilised by the staff. So again, the Board of Management have to tick that that has been heard or acknowledge that the Croke Park hours have been completed by all staff, whether they're the teacher ones or the SNA ones. So yeah, that is 
a principal's report to a board of management. It generally happens um, around the start of a meeting. There's also a financial report that the treasurer should read out, um, and I'm going to talk about that now. Um, basically, one member of the board has to act as the treasurer completely for free. And, it's ex- and he or she is expected to be responsible for every single transaction that passes through the school despite having any or very limited control at all over it. It's, it's not a job I'd be taking on if I had any sanity. Um, and yet there are some lovely people who do do that. They basically have to sign off on all accounts even if they actually haven't done them or have the expertise or have seen them even, you know, well, you know, to a point, I suppose they can't really sign off and if they haven't at least had a cursory uh, look at them and all for free. So it's a huge responsibility. And it's one of the areas where I would argue boards of management are not fit for purpose if a treasurer is doing this for free. In fact, I would argue that schools, a treasurer for a school should be a local accountant who basically doesn't work for free but is paid directly by the by the Department of Education in very much the same way, and maybe but I mean I would say I suggest more money. Um, secretaries to the Board of Management have a small fee for doing that job, um, and I think that is one change I would certainly start off with. If we were to keep the same structure, I would suggest the treasurer is a paid role on the Board of Management, considering what it what uh, the job they do. Um, the rest of the uh, the board, uh, basically, I might come back to the treasurer in a bit, but the rest of the board, so we've got our chairperson, our secretary, um, who's the principal generally, and the treasurer who we've touched on there. The rest of the board have to lend their expertise as well for free. Um, and the trouble is that as much as one would love to believe that every single member of a board of management is willing to give up their free time to manage aspects of the school for nothing, it's a myth. It's a total myth. When principals go for their training, they're asked to look out for people who should, who would be accountants, solicitors, architects, building contractors, HR managers, and so on, in order to give their expert advice and even manage these aspects of school life, and then convince them to do all this work for free. Now, as lovely as people are, it's next to impossible to achieve this, to be honest with you. I don't know. I mean, if, you're, if you've been able to do this, you must share your secret with us on our social media pages. I have never seen a school or met a principal who, is not, who has found an accountant, a solicitor, an architect, a building contractor, and a HR person on their board of management. They'd be very, very lucky if they do. And with over 3,300 schools in existence, it's naive to think that the 25,000 or so people who are on boards all, all have that capacity or the skills or the time to do anything for any school for free particularly front you know particularly for a school they don't have any particular you know bite in or whatever i mean bite is totally the wrong there's nothing you know there's nothing for them in it maybe if their kids go to the school there might be some sort of um you know feeling that they would like to give something back but in reality in most cases the principal of the school does almost all those jobs um, does almost everything and that's not a that's not a criticism of the board it's not it, it, it is really really hard to find people to give up um, their evenings to r- work on a board of management but then to expect them to do all this I mean a lot of work for free is is very difficult and while it's nice for a principal to have the buffer of a board of management I have to admit that uh, that sometimes it's actually nice to have uh, a board of management who are there when there's difficult decisions to be made Ultimately, all a board of management really is, is a buffer. And that's the thing. 
Um, and, and, and that, in fairness, though, that's only the case when a board of management actually understands this as well and doesn't cross a line. And this is where we have a problem. The problem with boards of management is they are fine once they realize their limitations and they understand their limitations and they accept their limitations and they don't cross the line of thinking that they can actually achieve, you know, I suppose what, what, what's been asked of them. I know that sounds a bit strange, um, particularly if you're not in, in Ireland. But I mean, I'm just trying to, uh, trying to say, would you do a job for absolutely for free? Um, I don't know. I don't think you would. It's a, it's a, or would you uh, be happy to delegate it to a day-to-day manager who's getting paid to do, the, to, to do a lot of the work? Um, you know, it's... And I mean, it's kind of hard to know where a board of management, what, 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 is, what is the purpose of a board of management? And the way I'm kind of thinking about it is, is that it's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's strength is that it's, it's, it's strength is probably when it's a good sounding board for a principal, a support, a kind of a cushion or a buffer. Um, I think a cushion is a better word. So when something really tough has to be decided upon, a principal can always say, look, I can't answer that now. I need to get the advice of my board of management. And they act as sort of like elders. I think that's a nice word, maybe elders, even if they're young uh, in a school, and give advice, um, you know, from an independent point of view. Because, I mean, I've worked under several boards of management over the last uh, a couple, a decade or two. And I found when they're really 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 positive listening force they're, they're, i mean what they do is when they can let let a principal be independent and autonomous in what they do and then when they're needed to come in and help that's when a board of management really works very work, works well despite the fact that that's probably not officially their purpose but the, you see the thing is sometimes they can, the, the thing is they can always cross that line all you need is a chairperson that feels like they need to put the principal in their place or shake up this school and so on and that's where things go a bit wrong and that line is naturally rooted in history um well, of boards of management really and the board the line is obviously rooted and you, you'll guess where it is where it's rooted of course it's rooted in the catholic church or in maybe not just the catholic church probably the church of ireland as well basically boards of management um where heavily controlled by the church and are heavily controlled by the church two out of eight of the members of the uh, board of management are generally um, associated with with the patron body the church and the six other members have to accept i mean one of the conditions of being on a board of management is you have to support the ethos of the school and generally that is in uh, a particular faith um, and these days, even in religious schools, boards of management are less about complete control in terms of religion, to be fair. I mean, they, they have to uphold the religion to a point, but there needs to be less control about religion per se. It's more so a strong nod to the ethos. And possibly it's still a little bit too intrusive, particularly when a school might wish to be a little more progressive than the powers that be would normally allow. For, you know, exam- things like lgbt issues they can't really a catholic school can't really fully support lgtp issues or fully support teaching rsc in its entirety and so on i mean i'm not saying these as criticisms i mean i am critic i would criticize them but that is their job i mean that is what a board of management of a religious school has to do they have to uphold their ethos and while we have boards um 
uh, schools with ethoses, I would defend their right to, de- to defend their ethos. And I've, I, I, I would be on record um, of saying that uh, whether I agree with their, uh, their, their decisions or not isn't my business. Um, but I, I think it is a ridiculous thing for a Catholic school not to be allowed to uphold a Catholic ethos. Um, no matter what that would be and I've talked about this on previous episodes before Um, many boards are still chaired by priests and this can lead to circumstances where church dogma trumps equality I get that and in fact historically that was probably the point of it the chair of a school was the local priest and he made sure that everything and everyone in his domain followed Catholic dogma and that is reasonable and the principal could be and often was run out of the school on a power trip of a zealous parish priest maybe not recently um, but certainly in the past a, pa- a zealous parish priest who might have suspected indecency such as holding a young lady's hand or taking a glass of porter of an evening they may have been run out of the parish uh, these days obviously with employment laws the school board can't um, can't fire you for having a drink but they can still fire you for undermining the ethos of a school so that's why people like me can't actually safely work in schools like that uh, because I absolutely undermine every religious ethos from the minute I wake up in the morning to the minute I go to sleep at night and sometimes even when I'm asleep I am dreaming of undermining ethos but anyway that aside all of this stems from historical power and much of it still technically exists as we know particularly not just in schools but as we know in certain hospitals and if you have a chairperson whether you are a member of the clergy whether they are a member of the clergy or not they still have an agenda and they do uh, they still have to uphold the ethos and if they have an agenda or a taste for power or whatever it might be a principal stays can still be numbered A a bad chairperson or a a power happy or a power happy I suppose is the best word a uh, power happy I don't know if that's the right if that's actually the right term uh, but anyway uh, someone who likes a bit of power uh, can really make a principal's job very very difficult I've seen it I've listened to dozens of principals who are trying to bridge running a very happy school while trying to appease crazy demands of an overzealous chairperson of a board of management and with several new patron bodies in the last decade starting up with very specific agendas I'm not going to name any names it can prove an impossible job for the principal in fact I know of one patron body where 80% of their principals resigned with their positions within three years or less after they after they came into being um, as is, um, and that's just a fact um, and while the vast, vast, vast majority of boards don't behave like animals, uh, every board is just one person away from such a situation. I mean, I'm just saying that even though 99.9% of boards of management are lovely, you are just, they are always just one zealous person away or, uh, from a situation where they can turn a very happy, well-run school into one that is untenable for the principal. Thankfully, there aren't that many animals out there. More likely, the problem of boards isn't in power-hungry people, it's in the lack of their skill set. And expectations of boards are actually getting higher and higher, and there are very, very few people on any board of management that are able to do any of the work that's expected of them from the Department of Education. Running a school requires huge knowledge of not only the curriculum anymore, but of educational law, politics, architectural design, building maintenance, HR, accounting, budgeting on a 53% funding model, by the way, cleaning, landscaping, facilities management, special education needs, care needs, first aid, crisis management, health and safety, PR, look, need I go on? 
how many schools can boast a board of management that with that level of knowledge that are willing to do it all for free? I think the answer is that is pretty obvious, zero. The principal basically basically has to manage all of this on a day-to-day basis because boards of management, you can't, again, apart from expecting boards of management to do all this sort of stuff, they're expected to do, I mean, it, it, how are they expected to do it on you know five or six meetings a year? It's impossible. You can't, we can't expect people to give up their lives um, for schools for free. And worse than that, we need three over 3,300 sets of these people to do it for free. Look, it's not achievable. Um, that's the thing we have to look at. Is there a different model of managing schools that is achievable in 21st century Ireland? Maybe the structure of a board of management of eight willing volunteers was suitable in the early to mid parts of the 20th century when schools were more simplistic, um, less complicated law, and could really be, I mean, I suppose when all schools were run by churches, they were really, schools were just sort of branches of a church. So really there wasn't that much extra to do. But in the 21st century, things are a lot a lot different and I'm not going to list all those skills that are needed these days. And what I would suggest really is maybe we look to a system where individual boards of management become a thing of the past and they're actually replaced by something similar. And I, I, I don't tend to copy uh, anything from the UK, but one of the models that I thought was interesting was their local education authorities. LEAs, as they were called. Now, I think they've been kind of battered to bits by in, in the last decade or two uh, from the uh, department of uh, from the department there, uh, their department of education, and there's all sorts of mad things going on. But back in the '90s, local education authorities were um, useful and um, and I think a good model to look at. The LEAs manage aspects of the school, um, of, of, of their schools, so it's clusters of schools or uh, groups of schools, uh, but they're also a support to the principal of the school. And dare I say it, it's something kind of like the ETB structures that are involved um, in uh, Irish prim- uh, some uh, Irish schools, particularly at second level, like the, the educational training boards, but without the politicians. Um, I think anyway. I don't think the uh, LEAs have politicians that made the, that had any influence, uh, which wouldn't be the case in ETB schools. Obviously, there's risks with a system like this because it could actually make things worse. And um, sometimes it's actually nice for a principal to know who is on their board of management uh, rather than some uh, faceless organisation. Um, and uh, you know, it's good that they know that they'll generally have their back um, as well. Um, rather than this, as I said, a faceless local entity that might have a particular agenda that might not suit the principal's vision of the school because if you've got a local education authority, they'll have a particular view of how to run all their schools and you need to fit into that model rather than a principal coming into a school with their own vision, whatever that might be. Um, And for me, that's the beauty of education in Ireland. We do have that independence. If we have a talent or a strength, that that's embraced generally by most uh, by most schools as a positive thing. Um, even in teaching, you'll have a, a teachers with different strengths. Um, and th- and that, as I said, if everyone's the same, um, it actually becomes quite a boring place. You never get anything great. You always get average, if that makes sense. However, if the balance was right, it could actually work very well. I mean, let's look at some of the aspects it would have to be considered. Um, LEAs would mean ethos would be a thing of the past, which is which for me would be an absolutely positive thing. I don't think we need ethos in a school or a particular, um, um, and basically schools would just fall under uh, one um, arrangement that would just work for everybody. So nobody would be discriminated against, uh, which is always a good thing. Um, you know, I don't see any reason uh, for uh, discrimination uh, on religious lines or whatever. 
Anyway, they would also have a centralized, there would also be centralized hiring and firing, uh, so HR basically, um, which is interesting in a way. I'm, I am I like the fact that I can pick people, I, uh, I can basically more or less, uh, with the help of a panel, pick people that would fit into our school rather than have, I mean, when I have taken people from the panel, let's say, which is sort of what I, I guess this would be like, and it's worked out really well. Um, but there could be a case where that doesn't work out well, and we've all heard of people who are the, who are on a panel that nobody wants, and um, our school has to is forced to take them on. Um, but a centralized kind of hiring and firing kind of situation might be useful. I'm not sure, but it would definitely have to happen. Uh, it happens in ETBs already, for example. I like the fact that accounts would be centralized. So basically, you would um, any money. Uh, that would come would come through the LEA uh, as I'm calling it the LA, local education authority I'm not really sure what I'm going to call it but I'm going to call it an LEA um, that seems very positive that you wouldn't have to do any money uh, work which is good all building works would happen locally which is good because any principal that's been involved in building works will uh, understand how awful and painful that job is uh, any maintenance contracts so you wouldn't have to be hiring caretakers you wouldn't have to be hiring repair guys you wouldn't have to be uh, hiring plumbers electricians all that sort of stuff the lea would organize that it's all sounding positive there at the moment cleaners they would also be employed by the lea and responsible by the lea uh, through contracts caretakers secretaries all those jobs would be the responsibility of an lea uh, which um which is which is good i would suspect um I think one that might be difficult is requisitions and ordering of equipment. So, for example, if I need a big ream of paper, I just go and buy it uh, and just put it through the books. With a re with a kind of a LEA system, you probably would have to apply for everything you wanted to buy within reason. Um, I'm not sure about a ream of paper, but certainly um, bigger things would have to go through an LEA, and uh, that can delay things. So, I can see that being a positive thing in terms of lack of responsibility but a, a negative thing that things actually take a bit longer to do it's a balance that would have to be worked out budgeting would not be the responsibility policy sharing would be a useful thing because if you're in a particular local education authority uh, you would all have the same policies uh, you get legal advice and you'd uh, also have management of the buses which uh, as an aside which is quite useful because that's again something that needs to be done people would probably be going to their nearest school and the more i think about it, it does have a lot of merit i mean yes we lose some autonomy but would the advantages outweigh it i mean could it mean that we go back to looking at teaching and learning again as principles i i'm not sure i mean is the system so embedded that many people still believe that the principal is the person to go to for almost everything but wouldn't that change over time i mean i can't imagine saying to a parent to contact our hr department of our lea if there's something if they had a complaint against a teacher um, I'd also find it extremely annoying having to order this A4 ream of paper from a procurement section and having to wait several days to get that approved. Um, but the other advantages might be are, are kind of interesting. And another advantage is something I obsess over in this podcast, simplification. I, I mean, I think if you listen to any episode of uh, If I Were the Minister for Education, I, I just think our, our uh, I call it, I call our... Uh, our system kind of like christmas decorations uh, apt for this time of the year finally i have been saying this since uh, i was saying this in the, in the middle of july christmas decorations and it felt weird but now i'm coming into december uh, at this time of the recording and it feels apt to call our department our education system like christmas decorations all knotted and tangled and actually while i'm recording this a lot of people are bringing them down from their attic so you can actually physically feel how weird our education system is but this kind of thing would simplify it if schools were under the same local authority it would mean that we could actually move to a situation where we don't 
don't actually need patron bodies anymore and we could actually separate church and state that's one advantage but we could also um simplify lots and lots of things i mean it's a nice consequence for me and no doubt um i mean i'm saying this i'm 99 percent sure somehow even if we did have a system of local authorities i have a feeling that local authorities would probably end up keeping ethos uh intact and somehow managing it as badly as it already is but anyway that's me going way off tangent uh, but uh, at the same time wouldn't it be wonderful to have a situation like that however i wonder if there is a balance could the central body centralized body come into the equation at the points where boards of management come in for example now I, I don't know if i've explained that very well for example if a school wants to order a very large purchase rather than every purchase for example managing and paying maintenance contracts you know things like that um I know for bigger things do you know do you know where where a principal doesn't actually do what they're doing but just the bits where they always have to get permission from the board of managers could that be where our lea comes in and allow the principal the, the autonomy for everything else i mean ultimately boards of management for all their faults they do when they're healthy give principals a huge amount of autonomy despite their you know being clearly unfit for purpose we all know they're unfit for purpose but they when they're healthy they do allow principals a huge amount of freedom and when that's well done, you have very successful schools. And there's something nice about having enough trust to be able to do a, a job, even if it means having a load of work one mightn't want to or be able to do. And being honest, I'm not sure how many of us would trade that in, trade that, all that autonomy in for a local education authority or an ETB kind of style um, management. And from speaking to some principals in systems where it is the case in the ETB sector, it appears it doesn't really decrease their workload that much. And that might be that one spends all their time asking their body to do the work rather than just doing it oneself. So for example, there, there's times I'm sure every principal has simply done something because it's just quicker to do it themselves than ask someone else to do it, that old adage. And maybe that would be the case in terms if you, an LEA was above you. I'm not sure if there is a happy medium. It would be great to have a system where a principal could have all the autonomy they currently have and simply delegate the work they don't want to, uh, to a local authority. However, I know that's completely unrealistic. However, we all know that the current models of border management don't work. We know they're not fit for purpose. Several of our stakeholders will outright uh, will actually have actually outright said they're not fit for purpose and uh, are working on, on, on looking at structures and even tweaking of the rules to allow very small schools share boards of management doesn't really work for the very same reason that a single school board of management doesn't work. One can't force a group of volunteers to take on the, the amount of responsibility that's expected of them and perhaps we might have to resign ourselves that if we want a system that works we have to sacrifice our autonomy as part of that and whether that's something we really want in the end maybe is for another podcast episode that's kind of all i have to say really on the matter i'm not really sure where i um kind of fit uh, into the equation it does seem that if boards of management while they work they they work because principles are good with their autonomy and when they don't work it's possibly because of power hunger or possibly because the principle isn't good with the autonomy and then you look at the other structure, which is where you're managed by a bigger centralized body. It has all the loads and loads of advantages, but then you lose autonomy. So I'm not really sure where I am on that. Would I replace the board of management with an LEA? I think on the balance of things, it's probably the right way to go. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed this episode and be sure to tune in every Wednesday morning just in time for your midweek slump. It's almost sure to get your blood boiling. 
Uh, this podcast can be found on iTunes, Spotify, or any other podcasting app by searching for either onshaw.net or if I were the Minister for Education. I'd really appreciate you subscribing to the podcast so each new episode will be available to you immediately after its release. Please also feel free to review the podcast so others can find it more easily. That's kind of all my thoughts on it. I, 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 I suppose I've come to the end. It's amazing when you talk into a microphone, you, you think you're going to think uh, something when you start um, and by the end of it, you're, you're kind of unsure. You've maybe changed your mind a little bit. I certainly feel that way now. I'm not really sure if I, you know, if I know that boards of management aren't fit for purpose, but I don't know if the obvious alternative is the right one. Um, and I suppose, I guess, our stakeholders are probably going to have to look at that. They've four years really now to really think about this and make maybe uh, start the changes or start piloting different models and not really tweaking it, really making radical changes that might be, um, might be needed. Um, at this time of my recording, it is coming up to uh, mid-December when things go a little crazy. Uh, it's also a time where I probably need to relax a little bit. So um, while I will invi- while I envisage that I will have a couple of episodes before um, the uh, winter break, um, during the winter break I will probably put the microphone down for a couple of weeks and. Um, and I should uh, and then uh, probably so don't worry if you don't hear from me every Wednesday uh, over the next uh, number of weeks anyway that's it for me I hear a tweeting in the background that's my cuckoo clock uh, I know that comes uh, comes about every uh, in every episode because most of my episodes uh, go over the uh, go go through an hour uh, I'll let it play us out a little bit while I say goodbye to you but uh, when you're recording in a kitchen you just have to live with the fact that there are sounds around the boiling of kettles the uh, cuckoo of a clock um, anyway listen I thank you for listening and we'll see you next time all the best bye bye <laughs> <laughs>